very good morning to you and welcome to our service. Thank you to those of you who are joining us online. As we gather and as we watch, Jesus is with us. There is a prayer that's going to appear on the screen. I'll invite you just to look at that for a moment or two and then I'll invite us to say that together. Can I invite you to join with me in saying this prayer? Almighty God, creator and ruler of all, we come this day to worship you. We come to be still. We come to listen. And we come to offer ourselves to you. Prepare our hearts to meet with you, so that when we leave this place of worship, we may feel renewed and refreshed by being together in your presence. We're going to sing together, Majesty of Heaven, your glory fills the sky. to stay standing for prayer. Lord, to you the nations bow down, to you creation cries out, and we, we come before you to worship you this morning as well, offering to you who we are, our hearts, our minds, our bodies, ourselves. And we worship you because you are not like us, you are holy, you are perfect in your goodness, 
you are full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And although you created us in your image, we are mixed up inside. We have our good days and our bad days. Our love is tarnished by our selfishness. You call us to be holy, but we fail. We are not faithful and steadfast in our walk with you or in our relationships with others. So we recognize the difference that there is between us and you and we acknowledge your perfection and we thank you that despite our faults and failings, your love for us never wavers. You love us full on all the time. And because of your grace, because of the goodness that you lavish upon us when we don't deserve it, your love towards us moves our hearts to respond to you in worship and we thank you that as we look away from ourselves to you, you change us to become more like you, transforming us from one degree of glory to another. So by your spirit this morning, would you release us from everything that holds us back or pulls us down? Open our eyes to your glory. Open our hearts to welcome your presence and make us holy as you are holy. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. And we're going to use Psalm 8 as a, resp as a responsive reading. Can I invite you to say together the words in yellow? How great is your name, O Lord our God, through all the earth. Your majesty is praised above the heavens, on the lips of children and of babes, you have found praise to foil your enemy, to silence the foe and the rebel. When I see the heavens, the work of your hands, the moon and the stars which you arranged, what is man that you should keep him in mind? Mortal man that you should care for him. Yet you have made him little less than a god. With glory and honour you crowned him, gave him power over the works of your hand, put all things under his feet. All of them, sheep and cattle, yes, even the savage beasts, birds of the air, and the fish that make their way through the waters. How great is your name, O Lord our God through all the earth. Amen. So we continue to worship as we sing, Lord of all creation, of water, earth and sky.
celebrate the light when I stumble in the darkness I will call your name by night God of wonders beyond the galaxy how he affects who we are, how we live, what we say, Pauline's going to bring our first reading to us. Thank you, Pauline. This reading is taken from James, chapter 3, verses 2 to 12. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is in itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives 
or a grapevine bear figs. Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Can I lead you in prayer? We've used our lips to praise God this morning. Let's take a moment to reflect on other words we've said in this past week to other people. What we've said and how we've said it. Lord, where we have spoken ill, where we have used our lips to praise you but at the same time have been negative or harmful to others in terms of what we've said, we ask for your forgiveness. Change us from the inside out, we pray. Purify our hearts and our minds and instill your goodness your grace within us. Where others have been hurtful to us, enable us not to repay in kind. Enable us to take the initiative in building others up. May our words come from good hearts and be used for good, we pray. And we bring to you this morning those who have been wounded by words. Words from the past that have burrowed into their skin and undermined their sense of worth. Words in the present. A constant reminder of conflict or dislike. Hampering the hearts of those who receive them. Or words not yet said, but just imagined, fearing about what labels may be pressed upon them, what other people might be saying about them, and it becomes hard to believe in anything different. For all whose souls are wounded in this way, we pray that you would speak your word of love and peace and healing into the depths of their being. Words of truth that affirm that they are loved by you and special because you created them and gave your son for them. And we pray too for our leaders, those who have authority, whose words carry or should carry more weight, who have a wide audience, enable them to choose their words wisely and well and honestly. Show them when to speak and when to be silent. Cause them to consider the impact that what they say will have on others. And you will hold them to account, as you hold all of us to account, for every word that we utter. So we pray for our leaders for integrity, for wisdom, for well-chosen words to lead us through difficult times. And Lord, in a world that's full of voices, some honest, some not. Some ready to condemn, some ready to praise. Many willing to speak without thinking. 
Lord, may we hear your voice speaking to us. And may our words bring healing, not harm to others. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. And so as a prayer, let's stand to sing Love Divine or Love Seven.
seated. That hymn leaves us looking forward to the glories of heaven. We look back now to see how it all began as Ian brings us the story of our creation. From the first book in the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 to 31. And God said, Let the land produce living creatures according to their kinds, livestock, creatures that move along the ground, and wild animals, each according to its kind. And it was so. God made the wild animals according to their kinds, the livestock according to their kinds, and all the creatures that move along the ground according to their kinds. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Thank you, Ian. We're reflecting this morning on what it means for us to be made in God's image. I'd like to read you some words written by Gregory of Nyssa, his second homily on the Song of Songs. Know to what extent the Creator has honoured you above all the rest of creation. The sky is not an image of God, nor is the moon, nor the sun, nor the beauty of the stars, nor anything of what can be seen in creation. You alone have been made in the image of the reality that transcends all understanding, the likeness of imperishable beauty, the imprint of true divinity, the recipient of beatitude, the seal of the true light. When you turn to him, you become that which he is himself. There is nothing so great among beings that it can be compared with your greatness. God is able to measure the whole heaven with his span. 
The earth and the sea are enclosed in the hollow of his hand. And although he is so great and holds all creation in the palm of his hand, you are able to hold him. He dwells in you and moves within you without constraint. For he has said, I will live and move among them. Let's sing together, Lord, the light of your love is shining.
halfway through the sixth and final day of creative activity when God is making the world, he suddenly starts talking to himself. At least that's what it looks like. Up until now we have clear words of command. Let there be light. Let there be sky. Let dry land appear. Let the land produce vegetation. Days one to three. Then we have, let there be lights in the sky. Let the water teem with living creatures. And then a direct command as God addresses the fish and commands them to be fruitful and multiply. Then God commands, let the land produce living creatures. And as with everything God has said, God speaks, and it is so. But then halfway through, or maybe towards the end of day six, God says, let us make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them rule over the fish, the birds, the livestock, the earth, and all the creatures on its surface. And this time it doesn't just happen at God's word. God creates, fashions people in his own image. In the image of God, male and female, and he blesses them and tells them to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth, to subdue it, and to rule over the fish and the birds and every living creature. <laughs> That's a big responsibility. This is the first ever devolved government as God makes people and puts us in charge of his brand new creation. So you can see why he takes extra care in creating us. Why he seems to put a lot more thought into it beforehand. No simple word of command this time. There is a degree of deliberation that goes into this final act of creation. Let us make humankind in our image, God says. But who is he talking to when he says, let's make people in our image? Where does that plural come from? Is it a grammatical thing because the Hebrew word for God is plural? Is there more than one God? Is there some kind of pantheon? Is God talking to the angels, getting their opinion? Or as he's made the earth, is he, is he talking to the earth and saying, come on, let's do this together, in, enlisting the earth's cooperation in this last act of creation? Or is this the royal we? Let us do this. We are pleased with what we have made. Or is he thinking aloud? Let's see, what shall we do next? For us, of course, as Christians, it's hard to resist the temptation to see a veiled reference to the Trinity here. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit having a conversation about the final phase of creation. And while nothing would have been farther from the mind of whoever penned these verses, that doesn't mean that as God says, let's make people in our image, we shouldn't catch here a glimpse of the mystery of God actually being three in one. Because the whole thing starts with the Spirit of God moving over the surface of the waters and and Jesus was God's agent, cooperating with him in, in the creation of the world at the beginning of time. So why not? Why shouldn't this be Father, Son, and Spirit saying to other, come on, let's build people, let's make people who are just like us. 
And one of the reasons why I'm persuaded that this is the legitimate line of interpretation is that when God makes humankind, he doesn't just make one man, Adam, to bear the image of the one God. He makes humankind in the image of God and he makes us male and female. Doesn't appear for the author of Genesis as though man is made in the image of God while woman is made in the image of man. On the contrary, men and women together reflect the image of God. And how do we do that? One of the ways is surely in our relationships with each other. And when we form relationships that are characterised by love, commitment, faithfulness and cooperation, then those relationships reflect the way in which Father, Son and Holy Spirit have related to each other from all eternity. And I'm not just talking about the relationship between husband and wife here. After all, God has to start with people and he starts with a couple. But actually it's true of all human relationships. If God is love, then any relationship which is characterised on both sides or all sides by self-giving love, that relationship reflects the image of God. God looks at that relationship and says, that's what I had in mind. That's what I want to see. To be made in the image of God means first and foremost that we are relational beings. The image of God is not first and foremost about our capacity for rational thought or our capability for moral reasoning or our physical appearance. We are most like God when we love one another. Sounds so simple, it sounds, seems almost banal, but it's so difficult to do. But that's our calling. We can only really reflect the image of God together. And that's why right relationships are so important. The dignity and privilege of being made in the image of God is worked out in practice on a daily basis in terms of the way we treat each other. And when God sees his love reflected in our relationship, then he says, that's what I had in mind. For him it's like looking in a mirror and seeing his love reflected there, and it fills his heart with gladness. But there's more. It's not just about how we relate to each other, it's also about how we relate to the world he has made, and which he has entrusted to our care and protection. In the ancient world, rulers would erect statues of themselves in the lands they governed as visible signs of their authority and command. The image represented the sovereign. And in the same way, when God creates us in his image, we represent him as ruler of the world. Our presence on the earth is supposed to be a manifestation of his gracious reign over his creation. We're here to show the world that God is in charge. And we show that when we govern the world, as he would have us govern it on his behalf. And of course that only works if we willingly and gladly accept the authority of God in our own lives. We can't represent God if we push God to one side. It's a sacred trust that we have. And if we disregard God, 
and ignore the truth that our rule over creation is a sacred trust and a responsibility, then we easily end up abusing our God-given authority and dominating and exploiting creation and ruining it in the process. Not everybody is very keen on this account of creation. There are those who say that actually the problem with the world goes back to this creation story. Gives us the legitimate right to to deal with the world as we see fit because we are in charge. Some would lay the ecological crisis squarely at the door of Christianity. And the issue is that command that God gives us in Genesis 1.28 when he tells us to fill the earth, to subdue it, and rule over it. It's that word subdue that people aren't happy with. Because actually it's quite a violent word. Used of conquering hostile forces. Tribes of Canaan among them. Enslaving people. Trampling underfoot. It's even used of molesting somebody. But it can be used more positively of imposing order bringing under control or into subjection. But it doesn't seem to presuppose a harmonious relationship. It seems to convey the idea of imposing peace on what would otherwise be an unruly subject. There is a degree of force involved. And it's this way in which the Bible seems to encourage the use of force to pacify nature that causes people real problems because we have misused our powers. And whereas in ancient times perhaps people might have felt as if they were struggling to carve out a degree of civilization in the midst of an uncontrollable environment, ever since the Industrial Revolution, (laughs) our capacity to be ruthless in dominating and destroying the natural world has been used to the full. And we're only just beginning to understand the long-term consequences of that. So why does the Bible use such language? Is it out of place? Why does God tell us to subdue the world and bring it under control? And I'm looking round here at a number of people who I know have now or have had in the past beautiful gardens and you will understand exactly what all this is about. Especially at the end of a hot summer where we've had hot weather alternating with wet weather and everything has just run riot. So when Sue and I visited Jedburgh Abbey earlier this summer, they had signs up explaining how much work they had to do when they opened up again to bring all the vegetation under control. Weeks of work, because nothing had been done for 18 months because of coronavirus. Took weeks just to cut the grass, apparently. Left untended, nature goes rampant. And that's not an effect of the fall. That is just the creative energy that God has invested within the world. Yesterday I filled my brown top garden bin, not with weeds, but with stuff I pruned from a buddleia that has just exploded, as it does every single year. And there are other plants as well that need cutting back. You know the principle, you get vigorous growth by pruning hard. And all of that pruning and trimming and digging up of plants and flowers that you want to have in your garden entails a huge amount of work. The best-kept gardens are always a result of imposing a huge degree of order on the luxuriant, abundant chaos of nature. 
left unchecked, nature grows wild. It's part of God's commission to us to look after it on his behalf, to bring a degree of order and beauty there. And this is consistent with how God created the world. You look at Genesis 1 and you see that it starts with a chaotic mess of darkness and water. And God begins by banishing the darkness, banishing the water, creating day and sky and dry land. Then the space created by banishing the chaotic forces of darkness and water is filled with good things. The sun and the moon in the heavens, the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the animals upon the earth. All this is about imposing order on chaos and then bringing goodness out of the order. And God says, I want you to carry on doing that. Bring order where there is chaos and then bring goodness and beauty out of the order. All of that is wrapped up in God's command to us to fill the earth and subdue it and bring it under control. It's our calling to enable the earth to flourish. And we can do our small bit in our gardens. That's the calling God has given to us, not to be the instruments of chaos and destruction, but to exercise the God-given role of ruling the earth on God's behalf. And when we fail to do that, I'm reminded of Steve Turner's poem, Chance. If chance be the father of all flesh, disaster is his rainbow in the sky. And when you hear, state of emergency, sniper kills ten, bomb blasts school, it's but the sound of man worshipping his maker. But we are not the product of chance. We are not mere flukes in an impersonal universe, just the byproducts of a random evolutionary process. We were made in the image of God, a personal God of love, who calls us to reflect that love in our relationships with each other and who has entrusted his beautiful creation to our care and has called us to exercise a benevolent dominion over it on his behalf, bringing order and beauty in a way that gladdens his heart as well as ours. Knowing who you are makes a difference to how you live. You are made in the image of God. That is your true identity. That is who you really are. How then are you going to live? And one of the reasons why worship is so important is that when we look away from ourselves, when we look to Jesus, focus our eyes on him, we are changed into his likeness. The image of God within us which becomes tarnished and damaged and sometimes invisible because of who we are and how we live is restored. We are changed to become like Christ as we worship Christ. So let's look away from ourselves and worship as we sing our closing hymn. Be thou my vision, O Lord of my heart. Mm -hmm. 
we close by saying the words of the grace together. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all evermore. Amen.